This is Shannon in Durham. Chip in Durham. And Erica in Edmonton. And you're listening to the Audio Guide to Babylon 5, Episode 66, The Hour of the Wolf. Hello, everybody, and welcome to season four. Woohoo! Guys, we're starting season four, and there's oh only five seasons. <laughs> um, I'm not prepared for this. Um, we need to we need to talk about maybe extending the podcast so that we talk about the first half of the episode one week <laughs> and then two weeks later we talk about the second half of the episode or, or would, we separate it by plots uh, i would I, be I, on board with that if it didn't sound like complicated work <laughs> there's that and i think but, our listeners would kill us but <laughs> but we're closer we still got to a couple the, years left there's years chip we're closer to the end than the beginning we're going That's to have true, to but do... then there's Crusade. Yeah, you you said Crusade. I think there's some movies in there too. Somewhere. What's 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 Crusade? Mm-hmm. What movies? I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> those are those are. If we if we talk to any extent about that, that would be uh, something called a spoiler, wouldn't it? <laughs> well, the fact that they exist probably. Guess isn't. what, listeners? There's more tie-in <laughs> media. <laughs> anyway, so yes, we are in our uh, fourth season of Babylon 5 as we go through the series piece by piece, episode by episode. Um, and a new season needs a new title sequence. So, <sighs> yes, it does. <laughs> I I think Those... this is my favorite. I don't know about you guys. Well, there was a reason that I tagged it on to the end after uh, the spoiler section last time, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can tell you who also thinks that it is their favorite title sequence and that would be our control group steven yep (laughs) i am not entirely surprised me either Uh, he went nuts i mean he was he was super excited to watch this in the first place just because he wanted to see what the next season was like um but let me tell you guys this was quite an experience watching this because first of all okay you know so we get the the cold open bit and then the opening credits start Mm -hmm. and and steven's just like oh Oh my gosh, there's clips. He was really excited about yeah. the side by side, a close up on one side and an action shot I on the love other that. side. I love mm-hmm. that. I know it took them so long to build up enough of a library to be able to do really dynamic stuff with it. But yeah, I adore that side by side of having uh, the close up of the face and then them doing something interesting. Mm-hmm. It was great. And then... <laughs> A moment that I'm sure you guys are not surprised by that he completely lost his his stuff was uh, was the moment when Lita Alexander, the telepath, Patricia Tallman <laughs> shows up in, in the, the opening credits. credits. Yes. He just was just like, oh, well, 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 the, the fudging count is on, is what he said. He didn't say fudging. Um, so that was that was a moment that he was very excited by. Um, and then afterwards, actually, as soon as the opening credit sequence stopped, the picture stopped and I turned and I looked and sure enough, Stephen had the remote in his hand. He had paused it because he felt he was just so keyed up and excited. He needed to talk about it right then and okay. there. So that was when he told me that he really liked the clips and that he liked it, it the best. And, yeah. and he pointed out that unlike last se- season, he actually recognized most, if not all of the clips that were in the opening credits, not just the, mm-hmm. the close-ups on the people in the credits, but including right, his very sequences. favorite uh, flying saucer, I'm sure. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Although he, he wasn't sure if he'd seen that before. And I was just like, yeah, I think you have. <laughs> um, and he wasn't sure that he recognized all of the different voices saying the, the one line at a time, yeah, which it, is something it, I love. I love that, too. And I agree with him that it can be a little bit confusing. I actually had to go back to the uh, Lurker's Guide and poke mm-hmm. around to find where they enumerated. So I would know the ones like um, I had a hard time picking out Zach. He's the second one to speak. Stephen got that one immediately. That was one okay. he got. I didn't. <laughs> yeah. And I didn't realize, I think for the longest time, I was confusing Lita and Ivanova. And had them flip-flopped. But she actually speaks towards the end, which makes more sense. And there's a reason for that. And I'm banging my head against my desk because we could have answered a question for Stephen so many times over the last year. Hmm? The reason Patricia Tallman was given the line, it was a year of rebirth, is because she had recently had a kid. And huh. that, ladies and gentlemen, is why we didn't see all that much of her in season three. <laughs> uh, he will be delighted to hear that um, and maybe excited at the possibility that, that she'll be in it more this time, which he's certainly expecting based on her being in the opening credits. Yeah, um, there's her, there's Zach Allen. It, it's mm-hmm. every, everybody's in on the act. Well, just about. Just I still about. don't have... Um, Poor little uh, Joshua Cox still sure. not in the opening credits. That's um, true. But yeah, so then, so we did go go through and we listened to the the first those lines again, so that I could point out who each of them were. And actually, Stephen did rem- he did recognize Zach and a couple of the other ones without without any problem. And hearing him a second time helped. Uh, mm-hmm. And then we still did not continue on watching yet at that point because then he realized that the the very very beginning of that sort of like whooshy sparkly exciting sound that starts it off kind of bef- mm-hmm. before the music starts reminded him of the very beginning of a song called Animal Magic, which if you are a Doctor Who podcast listener and listen to The Ferris Project, you might recognize because it is the the theme song for Little Pete uh, that plays every time he's introduced on the podcast. It was also used as the opening credit music for the BBC show W1A, which was actually filmed at the BBC, and it's narrated by David Tennant. Uh, huh. So if, if you're not familiar with that, you know, you can just look up Animal Magic W1A on YouTube and hear it. Or maybe you'll just hear it, like, now. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. So, Stephen, that just, that sounded similar enough to him that he had to, at that moment, pull it up on his phone so that I could hear it and listen to how similar it was. And I was like, okay, yeah, you're right. Not realizing that then when I actually looked up at the television, he had started the Babylon 5 opening credits with the mute on at the same time as he had played press play on his phone. So we proceeded to watch the entire opening credit sequence with Again. Animal Magic playing in the background. <laughs> and I got to tell you, there are a couple of parts in there that synced up so perfectly well that it was just like we were parodying the show that we were watching. It was... It was very strange, but also kind of funny. So once that was all done, finally, then we were able to continue and watch the show, but not until after all of that nonsense. Welcome to my life, you guys. (laughs) Not a problem. That is absolutely (laughs) hilarious. Yeah. Okay. All right. So um, let's get a little bit of business out of the way, and we will get back to pulling things apart. Um, So if for some 
odd reason, you decided to start watching this show with the beginning episode of season four. This is what you need to know. Babylon 5, an interstellar space station, has been the center of a war between an alliance of races and a very powerful race called the Shadows. Last episode, John Sheridan, the station's captain, willingly walked into a trap on the Shadows' homeworld, Zahadum, and appears to have died in a thermonuclear-level suicide bombing. One race, the Centauri, have publicly been staying out of the conflict through the efforts of Ambassador Londo Malari, but his efforts have had mixed success. In this episode, Malari is recalled to Centauri Prime for his expertise with off-worlders. Once back home, he learns, one, that the machinations he helped with have put a madman on the throne, and Two, he has been outmaneuvered by the Shadows, who are bringing some of their forces to Centauri Prime as a result of Sheridan's final strike. In the meantime, after seeing Delenn stonewalled by the new Vorlon ambassador, Lita Alexander offers to help lead a search-and-rescue mission to Zahadum on Sheridan's behalf. They get no indications that Sheridan is alive and barely make it back safely. However, we are shown that Sheridan seems to be alive, but has run into a previously unknown alien. And that is a basic recap of Hour of the Wolf, although a great deal happens in this episode as we get started. Um, as we And as we get started, um, general impressions from the two of you? I think that... If I was brand new to Babylon 5, I think uh, the pre-credits stuff would have left me so confused. I would not have known what, what was going on. And to a certain extent, I think it's on purpose because this is the fourth season of the show. And so much of this is we're we're full we're in the full on serial storytelling now, and I just don't think that there's a whole lot of time for recaps. That's just mm -hmm. my thinking. Yeah, no time or room. I, I don't think it was. It would have been a poorer episode if they would have tried to get you back into it. Like sometimes when I'm reading a series of novels, I get really slogged down when the opening couple chapters are, are simply a recap mm -hmm. of what came before. And in this case, I think it was a smart thing for them to just jump right back in. And I mean, nowadays, that's what happens. You don't get a lot of recap at the beginning of, say, you know, the next season of Game of Thrones. You can you can go on YouTube and find the 30-minute version of the previous, previous season, but you don't get that at the beginning. Um, and since this was sort of the, the infancy of serialized storytelling uh, in science fiction and primetime TV, I think it was kind of a bold move for them to just say, well, you're either in or you're out and, and just jump in. And I felt like, especially since this was picking up directly where we left off with the cliffhanger of the last one, there just there isn't a place for all of that information. You had to kind of pick up. And yes, it's seven days later, but what a boring, <laughs> what a boring start it would have been if you had to watch some of those seven days with a whole bunch of info dumps. I think this was a wise way to go. Yeah, I, I think they did the best they could as far mm -hmm. as trying to show some of what was going on. Um, I think the most anybody who was coming into this brand new would have gotten the idea of there's this big war going on. And this uh, guy that Bruce Boxleitner's playing pulled off this huge 
um, stunt to try and end it or pause it or whatever. Um, I think the biggest confusion would have been over what happened exactly to Garibaldi. I'm not sure people would have necessarily made the connection that he was the one in the Star Fury that was inside the Shadow Ship. I don't remember. They showed him in the, a pilot seat, but not what he was flying. So, you know, that was like the biggest sort of information gap I could point to. I think going on and having Jakar sort of sum up focusing on certain characters, what's going on with Ivanova, what's going on with Delenn. Um, I think that uh, really helped to fill in a few more gaps as the story itself got started. Um, so I think we've got, we're sort of back to two plots. Uh, they touch on each other a huge deal, but you've still, at this point, we've got sort of what's happening on Centauri Prime. Hey, we're getting off world again, uh, off the station again. And um, the uh, what's going on next with the war against the shadows now that Sheridan has caused this incredible, massive uh, blow to the opposition. We have these other mini plots here, you know, Jakar looking for Garibaldi and uh, Sheridan is apparently live and, you know, somebody has met him that we've never seen before. Uh, but we've generally got sort of two halves going on. Um, does that seem like that fair to you yeah, yeah well, i mean it's it's totally so mm-hmm. not only syria we're almost in soap opera territory here wouldn't you say yeah i think that they, yeah. they sort of dipped into soap opera territory you know the moment that anna sheridan came back that was when i started well, feeling yeah. like this is this is soapy and they've continued with it and i think that that has been all to the better because it has really kept me interested yeah mm-hmm. oh so what do you want us to talk about first boss Oh, <laughs> uh, well, let's look at Centauri Prime first, because we've had all of these, you know, mainly background developments with um, Londo and the political situation back home. And it's mainly been focused on, yes, we know there's this new emperor guy, thanks to um, Londo and Rifa. And at this point, I can't remember if they were still working together or working against each other to uh, get this candidate, Cartagia, this nephew on the throne. If he was, you know, I forget whose favorite candidate he was. But, you know, now we have Londo there in front of the emperor. He actually gets to see what for the first time, pretty much what what some of his actions have caused. Um, and we get uh, this guy, uh, Werther Krimmer, I believe his name is. Um, the mm-hmm. actor playing playing uh, Katarja, and in my opinion, he makes quite a good entrance. <laughs> yeah, um, Wortham Krimmer is uh, you could you could go just a little too far, and once in a once in a while in this episode, I feel like maybe he's not quite believable. Then I think about American politics these days, and I think no, this is actually <laughs> kind of plausible, um, but. Uh, He's been an invisible figure, kind of like uh, the Emperor was uh, for mm-hmm. a good uh, movie and a half of the original Star Wars trilogy. Um, this this figure behind the scenes that was talked about and was derided by Rifa as being somebody who could be easily controlled. Um, but the more we heard about him, the more we got a little concerned, I think, during season three. And now we finally meet him. And this guy's nuts. He's just nuts. He is. He's just... Oh. And it's 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 kind of chilling, too, that he... 
Yeah, I, I agree that his performance occasionally goes maybe a hair too far. But for the most part, I think it's it's in keeping with sort of the the, the style that we've got going on on Centauri Prime. I mean, the, the Centauri are a lavish, you know, opulent sort of people. So the fact that their emperor is, you know, a little bit over the top is fine with me. I think that that I think that that's fine. And his uh, just he's the basically idea- evil Freddie Mercury. Uh, wow yeah and his idea that he wants to just like he doesn't care if the entire planet goes down as long as he gets to attain godhood is that's not something that i saw coming because you know usually when you have megalomaniacal characters who want to achieve power they want someone to have power over and this Mm -hmm. guy is just so far gone that he doesn't even care if there are people left to worship him or people for him to exert his power over once he's a god he will he will have everything that he has ever dreamed of apparently yikes yeah i i i I admire how JMS and the casting department keep coming up with these actors who are able to play Centauri characters that we just, you know, wind up despising. Um, And the actors just carry it on so well. Generally Um, speaking, uh, they do seem to do a pretty good job of casting for Centauri when they don't do so well in other areas. Yeah, (laughs) it depends. but yeah, just it felt a little bit, you know, not necessarily in a bad way, but it felt slightly like, you know, Londo has gotten rid of Rifa, this really annoying Centauri that we all just wanted to reach through the screen and shake. Um, and guess what? Here's another one. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, for me, this not only, you know, with the acting, with uh, discovering that, yes, Londo, this, you know, kid that you dismissed as you know, a perfectly acceptable figurehead to um, ha- to listen to all of the council turns out to be no, he is out of control. And he is incredibly, extremely dangerously mad. Um, <laughs> but the other half of the Centauri thing that I love that I'd sort of forgotten the details about until I rewatched was just, a- again, how Londo has been perfectly outmaneuvered by the shadows. Uh, in that that they uh, chose to go around him when he tried to cut off uh, contact and not have anything more to do with them once he realized just how dangerous uh, the association was. They did an end run around him, found other Centauri that they could work with and work their way all the way up to the Emperor. And now a bit of Londo's dream sequences that we've seen in the past, one of them has come true, watching the shadows fly over his planet and settle down with with a flaky Morden. Watching the shadows fly over his pan- planet while he's wearing his old coat because the other one was being laundered. Yes. That Convenient. Was a- <laughs> Very. Yes. And, and, and at least, um, and of course I've forgotten the gentleman's name who plays, um, who plays Twittery Centauri, the, the <laughs> minister. Um, but yeah, he, he delivered the line with panache. I will give him that. Yes. Um, Yeah, I I, I like seeing that Londo, you know, he... He really was the the one that set this all in motion to start with, with his his alliance with Mister Morden. And I mean, maybe if he hadn't done it, somebody else would have. But right. but he then got to the point where he realized this is not good for my people. And as awful as as the stuff that he has done has been, at the end of it, he has 
at the heart of it, he's been trying to help out the Centauri people, which is, you know, still kind of a crappy thing when you're willing to throw away the rest of the universe, mm-hmm. which, you know, when you think about it, kind of like what Cartagena wants to do. He doesn't care about the rest of the people as long as he gets his. Londo sort of feels the same way. It's just on a planetary scale. Um, and, and even though he has backed off and tried to, tried to sort of backpedal, they, they did totally outmaneuver him. And now they actually not only are the Centauri in league with the shadows, but the shadows have a foothold on his home planet. It was, it was kind of fun to watch him just be like, what? Mm-hmm. And, and just in complete disbelief, almost stumbling out of the throne room. That was, that was, that was quite a uh, sort of dash of water to the face moment. And I thought it was played pretty well. Yeah. Um, how did, uh, Stephen like, uh, the reappearance of Morden? Oh, he was so PO'd. <laughs> he was like, oh. PO'd? Well, he was, he was PO'd for the fir- at first because Ed Wasser's name was in the opening credits. And he felt that uh. that was spoilery because he was like, great, now I know that he is coming back and he made it. And then mm. he was, you know, but Mr. Space Mob was supposed to, was supposed to die. And he's just like, that, that effort got away. He didn't say effort. Um, <laughs> and yeah, so he was, you know, I think it, you know, it's still the, the character you love to hate sort of thing so he wasn't he wasn't really truly mad but he was you know mad within the context of the show or er, 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 he's still alive um if, no, if speak, completely speaking, disgusting. Of mad, speaking of mad morden himself didn't seem it's, to be doing all that well not <laughs> yeah. altogether there no yes yeah, yeah actually steven steven said he's become the master uh, if you're a Doctor Who fan and saw a Deadly Assassin, <laughs> that's true. That's he's just like, true. Is is he regenerating too? <laughs> it's just like shush, dear. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I was just this time I was paying closer attention, and Ed Wasser's performance mm-hmm. is like you know, vocally and expression wise, maybe not 100 percent of the time, but his but his body language, the the the, the picking of the flakes off. Ugh. Yeah, it's just mm-hmm. like, dude, you you are around. You you weren't in that great shape in the first place <laughs> that you're in league with the shadows. But boy, there's a theme here of these characters going around the bend. Flesh mm-hmm. does what it's told. You know, Morden repeats mm-hmm. that after yeah. uh, after Justin said words to that effect uh, last time. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Ick. Yeah, and the nice close-up of the flakes of his skin sort of blowing away on the, away floor, on the yeah. floor. I don't know why there's such a draft in Londo's room, but it looked good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, uh, we um, get Londo doing the, the only thing he can do and summon Veer, um, mm-hmm. which I found slightly interesting, the juxtaposition. Um, this is kind of part of the other half of the plot, but the fact that Veer is apparently given very high-level information from the Shadows because Londo's not there to receive it, and the first thing Veer does is go to Ivanova. It's like Mm -hmm. anybody else you'd think would have gone over to Londo. I mean, that's his direct boss, but no, Veer immediately thinks opposite of what Londo has been working towards um, in, you know, working to secure the Centauri place. He goes to the current leader of the Alliance. Um, and well, I love you know, that. He, Veer is, at, at heart, a fundamentally decent person. Well, yeah. Uh, which, like, is what, mm-hmm. which is uh, what uh, Londo highlights in their conversation once Veer finally mm-hmm. arrives, that uh, he's gone through all the corridors of power and has somehow managed not to be touched. Yeah. Um, and, and 
he's going to he's going to do that. He is this is the guy who tried to uh smuggle Narn off of the home world. He mm-hmm. he knows who his friends ought to be even if his uh government uh, wouldn't wouldn't tend to agree. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he brought that information to Ivanova, there's nothing actually that tells us he brought that to Ivanova first or instead. My, I suspect that he had already True. passed that information on to, to Londo and the Centauri, but he thought that it might be something helpful. I mean, <laughs> helpful in quotes, I guess, because knowing that, mm-hmm. that Sheridan is, is likely dead is, is probably the happiest thing, but that's information that they didn't have through any other means. So mm-hmm. because he is, like you said, a fundamentally decent person, he... And because he really wants to help the right side, if he can, and as, as much as he can, he goes and shares that information with them. And yet, having mm-hmm. gone through uh, being manipulated by Londo at um, when uh, they took out Rifa, mm-hmm. uh, and he and he had it out with Londo over, I don't think I ever knew you, mm-hmm. Londo using him. And yet he just still keeps coming right back. And uh, it's it's kind of – it's almost kind of sad and a little bit codependent when uh, Veer says, if you had any doubt, would you right. would you have asked me? Uh, and that – I kind of think that that's that, – that's Veer's – that's Veer's fatal flaw. He cares yeah. about – he cares about Londo. Um, he – and there's, there's, there's affection and there's um, sort of – what's the word that I'm looking for? Um, ob- obedience to authority. Um, that's, uh, Obsession. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's part of it. Yeah. It's a dysfunctional relationship. I mean, it really is. And it's it's, it's a, a somewhat hard to watch because, yeah, Lando keeps doing awful things, not always directly to Veer, but the last big interaction we saw really was something where he screwed over Veer pretty harshly. And, you know, I, you have that thought like, okay, maybe this is it. Maybe this is the breaking point. And then no, because, you know, Londo calls and, and Veer comes running because that's that's what he does. And he really, he does love Londo. Like he, he cares about him very much. And that's when, when you love someone who is doing bad things, sometimes you just, you keep wanting them to change. You keep wanting to help them. And you just, mm-hmm. you want to stick around until you see that happen. So you write it out through a lot of awfulness sometimes. And I think this is another moment at the end where, based on the slightly overacted, over-the-top look on Veer's face, uh, I think you you see him watching Londo talk about how awful everything has gotten and how Londo wants to change that. And Veer is, you know, kind of going like, finally, this is what I've been waiting for. <laughs> so, you know, that's good. And until he gets to the end part where he says, we need to kill Emperor Kartasha. And it's like, record, yeah, record that's scratch, it. what? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, you, you, you got a, you got a guy who like, you know, keeps the heads of his enemies lined up to, to go talk to at night. And <laughs> I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I I can't decide if it was more on the nose for the minister to present the rumor to Londo and and then to turn around and have it actually happen. That 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 was one bit that I I just couldn't decide if I needed like only one of those two parts or or not. I kind of like it, if only for the fact that everything that. Everything that it could be an outlandish rumor turning out to be true, I, it just sort of sort of sticks the pin in it for me that he really is just that bad. 
Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if you did just hear the rumor and you did just see his sort of performance in front of Londo, you could be left with a thought that maybe he is actually a really canny, cagey Centauri leader who is trying to convince people that he is cuckoo um, so that he can, you know, establish some more power or, or something. Right. And okay. when we do see yeah. him talking to the disembodied heads of, of people that he's had killed and he's alone and there's nobody that he's performing for, I think that shows us, the audience, that he really is off his rocker. Okay. Yeah. So my question for you all then is just to sort of go back and say, is he too off his rocker for the story? Hmm. I, I I don't think so. Because, I mean, maybe if you would have asked me this a couple of years ago when we were starting the podcast, I would have said, yes, it's it's a little bit too far. Because how could a society elevate somebody who is this far gone um, to a position of power without without doing anything about it? But then when you look at the U.S. electoral system yeah. and... Uh, you know, just to get timely here with who our candidates are, you know, things, one small thing added to another small thing. Eventually you do, you can get to a point where stuff that would be previously completely unthinkable can actually happen. Yeah. Just saying. Okay. On a brighter note, um, the Vorlon's being a real jerk to Delenn. <laughs> As we jump to the other half of the plot, we've got, uh, the, um, that Ivanova's kind of like sort of the last leadership person um as far as uh generally think but between her and Delenn, Delenn's still in charge of the Rangers, but um mm-hmm. as far as the alliance, Sheridan was sort of the the leader pulling all of the other races together, and now Ivanova is trying to step up and hold that together and everybody is, you know, immediately reacting like, you know, the war is over. And we're going to go lick our wounds. Um, and she can't keep these races together. Uh, and then, of course, Delenn tries to go to the new Vorlon ambassador to get some authority from him. And, oh, my God, it's kind of amazing how nasty this Vorlon is compared to Kosh. How that, that, that two big, giant, curtained toilet bowl costumes <laughs> and, you know, a little bit of electronic voice. And yet... They managed to show this massive difference between the two. The line at the end, his his parting shot to Delin, respect is irrelevant. That's mm-hmm. that the yeah. that change that that feels like it changes everything because um, Delin was subservient to Old Kosh, and Kosh appeared to I don't know value it um or expect it or whatever but all of a sudden thanks to Sheridan opening quote an unex- an, an unexpected door close quote um it's as though Newkosh just doesn't care anymore Sheridan served his purpose Delins served her purpose um you know whatever else what else ever else is going on in his head right now um Screw you, Alliance. <laughs> yeah, it goes beyond the the accusations from last episode uh, that Justin was tossing about, oh, if the Vorlons being like your parents and telling you do this, do that, do the other. This feels like, like you said, it really goes kind of beyond that kind of authority to, 
you know, almost the indifference of of gods in some religions, as you said, you know, that this tool has served its purpose. I'm tossing it away. Uh, Only you're tossing people and races away. Um, So, yeah, that and it helped, I think, that, you know, and here's Lita just practically cringing over all of this and apologizing to Delenn, you know, trying to let her know that, you know, she sees just as clearly as Delenn does that that this particular Vorlon is being a, a raging ass. She and Veer have an awful lot in common. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Steven, Steven just said, I don't like new Kosh. He's a jerk. So that's... No, Steven which, didn't like old Kosh either. I know. It's <laughs> so like, okay. Boy, he's, I think he's just anti-Vorlon. <laughs> I would like to sort of zip past the... Um, Sort of the 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 build up and the angst over the fact that the um the League of Non-Aligned Worlds they they want out they want they 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 see the shadows as being distracted and now it's time for us to pull back and the Vorlons at least as far as Newkosh is concerned don't give a damn so what happens next we have an independent rescue mission going off in another White Star led by three of our uh three of our female leads in Babylon mm-hmm. 5. And I just think that that's kind of cool that oh, yeah. Susan's Susan's in the chair, Delin, Lita, it's their mission. You know, mm-hmm. Lanier's there to give a couple of funny quips in the background, um uh, but it's And come it's, up with a way to like a backup plan. <laughs> right, but it's their it's their mission and I really do like that. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I had a couple of yeah moments watching a couple those scenes and you know thinking you know sort of Trinity you know the the the, the Trinity uh, of women coming together to get something done since apparently none of the other races are willing to do anything to try and uh, to try and get anything done. You know, maybe it's just a sign of of how well I think these characters work and exist in this world. But that that didn't even occur to me at all. I didn't think, hey, look, we've got three women doing stuff. I was just thinking, mm-hmm. this makes sense. These characters should be doing this. That is, right. That is pretty Which, great. And, and that is very true. That, well, that, there's that. Yeah, but also, should... you know, 1996. Right, for yeah. sure. Of course, then you could also look at it the other way and be like, their mission actually failed. Not only did they not find any sign of Sheridan, but if it wasn't for the one dude who came along, they would yeah, have all landed on annoying. the planet and been dead. <laughs> yeah. So Give me know. my happy pers- interpretation. <laughs> okay. Let okay. me have my okay. happy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, well, I did like the opportunity, you know, that it gave Lita another chance for us to see just how powerful she's become because she's apparently holding off um a large chunk of uh what's left of the shadows uh all by herself um where in the past we've seen that it takes like two or three telepaths per ship to try and protect them from uh maybe a single shadow ship so yeah we see yet again that whatever her transformation that the vorlons have done has um made her really really powerful it's more than just gills. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I love it when her eyes turn black. That is just, that is so cool. <laughs> I mean, and that is, that is something that I think uh, probably would not look any better now. Like, that, mm-hmm. that just looked awesome. Yeah, it did. And I like the added uh, element of Delenn physically, you know, taking her hand to try and help boost, um, you know, whatever, um, 
whatever she's doing to try and search for Sheridan to see mm-hmm. if the emotional connect uh, can enhance anything. I thought that was very canny of her. It was touching. Like that, that too. That got my heart. I was just like, oh, you know, the nice close up on her. And she's, it made me sad because it didn't work. I was like, damn. Yeah. And that, that brings me to uh, wanting to talk about David Eagles' direction and the script. Okay. Um, we've talked before that uh, sometimes B5 direction and JMS's scripts or other people's scripts uh, can be a little on the nose. But I thought that this episode was pitched perfectly. Uh, there were so many opportunities where actors could just do something nonverbal rather than uh, spitting out a line. Um, the there 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 was a lot of subtlety. The the it was it was as though everybody involved was t- taking the time to think about it and come up with the second right answer rather than the obvious first uh, right answer. Uh, the way that uh, um, towards the end of the of the rescue mission, uh, Susan looks to Lita to say, "Did you get anything?" And she doesn't say no. She just sort of sits there and says, yeah. "I'm so sorry." You know, that's subtle, but mm-hmm. you know, it's, yeah. it's 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 things like that that really work. Uh, mm-hmm. The the interactions between the characters, I think, for the most part, are the most compelling and realistic you've even got several moments where characters sort of stumble over their lines and i think it was the actor stumbling over the lines and you left it in because it's more realistic it's got more this this feels more confident and it feels Mm -hmm. more modern than a lot of our previous episodes i agree except for the scenes on centauri prime i felt like those were all of them were a little bit overblown and um you know as far as the camera direction goes they were they were perfectly fine and you know like the lighting in londo's quarters was was actually quite interesting so that that was all all well done but i thought that the performance from the actors was a little bit and i don't know if it was the actors or if it was the director saying give me more give me more but really like it's really centauri up the place yeah exactly or you know jms pointed out the that essentially the actors had been sort of off for the summer Mm. and then came back to start filming this one. So, you know, taking an episode to, you know, really find your character again sometimes, depending on your situation. mm -hmm. That could very well be it. Maybe, but I thought most most everybody just nailed it. Uh, Claudia Christian is terrific in this episode. Um, Well, she's great, but she's also not on Centauri Prime. Well, yeah. (laughs) So, so... Either they all did all their work on Centauri Prime first, or um, or it's just the Centauri actors happened to be the mm-hmm. ones who enjoyed their summer a little too much. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I think, or you know, actually, Peter Jersey Leaning into I the think, character a little too much. Who knows? Yeah. But I think Peter Jersey actually, he 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 pitched it fine. Um, but, you know, you had Cartagio that was a little bit over the top. And Veer, for me, that Stephen First, whom I love and who usually is one of my favorite characters and performances, was just he was too much. He was so over the top with like the the chin jutting forward and the the wide eyed acting. And it was it, he just he seemed 
much more uh, puppy-like than usual. I mean, we've gotten to the point with Veer where he's sort of had a bit of an arc and he's gotten a little bit more cagey and canny himself. Like, mm. not entirely because he's still Mr. Innocence, but but here it was just, it was like he was trying to be a caricature of his own character and that that really dragged me out of the story. Okay. Alas. Oh, well. Yeah. Okay. Um, other points that you can think of as far as um, Susan and everyone's side of the of the story, uh, I really the the beginning scene got me where um, she and Delenn and uh, Jakar are trying to pull the um, pull the other races back together. Um, the fact that obviously these people literally do not see her with the same kind of authority as they did Sheridan, you know, whatever it was that Sheridan had to forge and fight and create this alliance at the moment, Susan can't duplicate that yet. Well, um, I don't think, I don't think Ivanova is the same kind of charismatic character. No, she's not. Sheridan. She's, she's <laughs> yes, much more blunt. She's <laughs> much more forthright. Um, you know, the, fe- you know, her, whatever her line is, it's that, you know, we're going to keep discussing it until you agree with me. Um, <laughs> you know, I, and I agree. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a different style. Um, but I also think there's something to the fact that, you know, without Sheridan, the Alliance is much quicker to start scattering. Um, mm-hmm. And it doesn't help that you have the, the game, the, the spidery um, helmeted character. The, as Stephen jumping, called them, the robot anteaters. Yes. But to jump into, you know, full on paranoia, uh, the idea that you want us to go to Zaha Doom so you can start getting rid of the rest of us. It's like, where did that come from? This this I alliance has been trying to work together to I, combat the I don't shadows. think that's what he said. I think that I thought that that was what he was saying when he first started. But then okay. he, he or it continued saying, you know, that's actually why you want us to go there. It's because you want to rescue Sheridan. And and it's not that you care about our alliance or beating the shadows. You just want to get your, your dude back. Yeah. I don't think there was anything in there about wanting to knock off the rest of us. Although I thought that's where what, where it was going uh, at the beginning of that line. It it took a sharp turn. Okay. Uh, how about you, Chip? Anything else on uh, this side of the story? Um, n- Chip, how did you like the voiceover? <laughs> the voiceover was fine. Okay, just checking. I liked it too. <laughs> Can we talk yeah. about Egyptian gods now? Yes, yeah, we can. <laughs> yes, let's segue right into the. Uh, it's not much of a scene, but we get a sort of a touch uh, in on the fact that Sheridan's not the only one who's currently gone, but uh, at the moment Garibaldi is missing as well, and uh, the audience has an idea of what's happened, but the characters do not. And yeah, I I, I always cackle. I, I cannot help it every single time I see Jakar wearing. Uh, Garibaldi's hat. It just sets me off. And as you said, to top it off with, uh, with Zach, I, yeah, I thought Jeff Conaway did that bit really, really well. That was such a a midstream. Yeah. Talking about actors just nailing it after the summer break, but Jeff Conaway was perfect in this scene. I thought, Mm -hmm. um, he's, he's all business going in there. Then he relaxes in Jakar's presence. And then, um, Ah, that's that, da- and then he stops himself, and that's the, yeah, that's the Egyptian god of frustration. And <laughs> if you've ever seen a single Warner Brothers cartoon, that is the most perfect encapsulation of the Daffy Duck character ever. And it just 
It's 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 magnificent. <laughs> mm-hmm. And very fitting for, for Garibaldi as a character too, yes. which, which yes. Jakar appreciates. Yes. Exactly. And you know, and then, you know, shifting to the more serious point of lost in the noise among Sheridan's disappearance is the fact that, yeah, Garibaldi's gone too, and you know, and these two are the two characters that are putting that front and center. Yeah. And I question why Jakar, what Jakar can do. Um, you know, yeah. Garibaldi's fighter disappeared. We know that it got uh, swallowed up by a shadow vessel. Um, but one could certainly extrapolate that as a as one of the possibilities uh, if you happen to be a command and control officer on Babylon 5 right now. What is this one guy who is no longer who no longer has any governmental authority or anything like that? What can he do to find a missing spaceship? That is just a question that is out there for me right now. I know. I I kind of like it though. Just the idea that. That Jakar has had such a transformation from when we saw him in the first series, and now he has become this sort of Don Quixote like character who is just he's going to go off and tilt at windmills. Like it's it is unbelievable. I don't know I don't know where to start. I don't know what to do. Like, and he's just he's just going to go off and and wing it. And it's like I wish you the best, dude. But but wow, that is that is not the kind of thing I would have necessarily expected from from the bombastic guy who we we had you know shouting around the place the first season. It's, yeah, it's pretty impressive. Yeah, Citizen but Jakar. I like good luck. <laughs> but I, I like his reasoning though that the the fact that you know he um, is zeroing in on Garibaldi because Garibaldi is the one character who you know, as they said really wholeheartedly supported him when he started turning things around after his revelation and he starts working and and Garibaldi was one of the first to take that to heart and and really reach out to him so i can see i i can see jakar wanting to pay that kind of devotion back and he doesn't know how he's going to do it yet but damn it he's going to try mhm okay and of course Towards the end of the episode, uh, as JML, JMS himself said on Usenet way back long ago, he felt it was not fair to the viewers to drag out the suspense whether Sheridan was alive or dead. So instead, he just plops a new mystery in our laps. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, actually, the uh, speaking of direction earlier, we mm-hmm. we get that weird sort of zoom in close up on Ivanova's uh, right. you know, badge of office to to right. show what her rank is, her rank insignia, and then and Stephen was like, "Why did they do that? What what is that?" And then it cuts to the next scene, and you see Sheridan's fall into the ground, and I said, "That's why." <laughs> he was like, "Okay," mm-hmm. but it was a really confusing, sort of clunky moment. I thought. Um, just it, it, i think it put too much of a uh, too much of a lampshade on that but then it was that it was on into a new scene and and i was fine with that that new scene steven afterwards was like well you know sheridan he did all right after falling for for 2 miles he found a cloak or or a blanket he's he's made fire so he <laughs> he did okay it's like yep yep very and confusing have- i have no idea what any of this means or how any of this is possible we'll never figure mm-hmm. this out <laughs> <laughs> yeah and 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 they start with of course the uh, the 
they're questioning, you know, who are you? Well, who are you? Uh, <laughs> just to, you know, get things going. And yeah, well, yeah, like you said, we're just going to have to see what happens. We're really not given enough information to other than this mm. guy seems friendly. Yeah, I thought I did think that was a funny way to start because, you know, the show is from for us. It's it's from the perspective of John Sheridan at this point. So, you know, he's saying, who are you? But then you get this person who was was clearly there. You know, Sheridan's the one that fell into his realm. So his response is just like, yeah, well, who are you? That just made me laugh out loud. Yeah, it's like sort of throws you back a bit to comes the Inquisitor and then Sebastian, you know, who mm-hmm. are you? Who are you? The Keep asking until you finally get an answer. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, was there anything else that uh, you haven't already mentioned that Stephen had to say? Um, just at, at the end, when I asked him his uh, his opinion, he, he enjoyed it. He said that this episode felt a little bit more subdued than what we've had in the last few episodes. Oh, and yeah. he said that he's, about, he's like, yeah, he said, I suppose it's the storyline. It's it's less of a big new beginning than like the beginning of series, season three felt more like, yeah. you know, kicking things off with a bang. And yeah. this, you know, especially just from the voiceover at the very beginning, it is this is a lull. You know, we, we had right. some stuff happen, but it's all happening in, in a lull. And he said, it as I observed before, it's picking up right from where season three left off. So it's not it's not so much kicking off something new like some of our previous seasons were. It's it's continuing the big stuff that was happening before. And he, of course, is very intrigued by the telepath now being a part of the show. Right. No, but what to go back to what you were relating from Stephen, uh, that was something I did put in my notes that, yes, this particular episode, there was a huge amount using of shadow and of darkness in scenes you know the scenes of ivanova late at night um other scenes where you know she meets veer and the room stays dark um i think that may have been a deliberate directorial choice to emphasize not only the mourning that people are feeling mm-hmm. uh and you know the potential dread of what comes next uh but like you said that this lull um, this hour of the wolf that Ivanova describes that, you know, at the moment, this is the point where all the characters feel like they are just sort of enumerating and going through all of the things that are currently all of the huge problems they currently have um, because they're not sure what what the next step is. Mm-hmm. Um, so anything else in general? Nope, I'm good. Chip? Nope. Okay. Well, then we shall uh, wrap up the spoiler-free half of the episode. Um, As always, people are invited to come talk to us on Twitter and on Tumblr and on our website at B5 Audio Guide for all three of those. B5AudioGuide.com, of course, always has our separated chat threads so that people who want to stay spoiler-free can still come and have fun discussing things uh, while the spoiler-full episodes are, you know, there for all the speculation and tying together of things. Uh, and our homework for next week, um, the episode is titled, Whatever Happened to Mr. Garibaldi? Dun, dun, dun. I think that's just a fun title to say. <laughs> it is. Uh, and we will see how it ties in with the episode. As we know, titles don't always <laughs> tie in with what goes Good on point. in the show. Uh, If Mr. Garibaldi is not in this episode, I'm going to be mighty displeased. (laughs) And I will laugh. We will see what happens. Uh, So, uh, again, people who are staying spoiler-free, thank you for listening. And everybody else, let's step through a jump gate. 
And we are back. Lanier has gotten us safely through with his little trick on the <laughs> controls. And now we get to talk about all the things um, that this episode sets up or continues that are going to come to fruition down the line. Um, and um, something that uh, I'd like to sort of go through several different things in a list. But the first thing I wanted to bring up that um, the pacing uh, we talked about, Chip talked about in Spoiler Space last time, how uh, because JMS felt he'd better have a, have his major plot points wrapped up this season in case they didn't get their fifth season, um, and how it picked things up. Every single thing, practically, that goes on in this episode that gets set up, we have a Mad Emperor, and Londo feels like, I gotta assassinate him. We have um, the Vorlons and the Shadows, you know, things have sort of come to a halt for the moment, but things are not done. And all of this stuff gets wrapped up in the next six episodes. That's all. Garibaldi yeah, gets yeah. found and Sheridan gets of- found and comes back and everything gets kind of taken care of. That's and that's the reason I was sort of taken aback when um you described it as a soft uh, uh, Stephen described it as a softer opening um uh, <laughs> for the season um or as a lull because when I'm watching this, knowing <laughs> what is to come, I feel like I'm on a bullet train. Not because there there is so much bombastic stuff happening now, but that we are so thoroughly in the within the rails of this is what we've got to do over the next six or seven episodes to resolve the Shadow War. I mean, we meet Cartagia and Londo decides we got to kill him. In one episode, there's just no there, there's just no time there. Um, we are meeting Lorian, and then um, and that we are leading straight into the conversation that Lorian and Sheridan are going to have that reveals the contours of the Vorlon Shadow conflict, and that's going to take us all the way to get the hell out of our galaxy. You know. Right now, everything feels very linear to me, and uh, and everything that happens in this episode happens for a reason to move us along to get us to uh, the resolution of the mm-hmm. Shadow War. Of course, if you're watching it not knowing all that, it just sort of feels like your somewhat average opener of a new season where, you know, new seasons often introduce new characters. So, you know, that's that's sort of the Cartagia thing sort of feels like that. Lita coming back and, and Kosh having a bigger role kind of feels like that. So, I mean, for all Steven knows, these characters are going to be just hanging out throughout the entirety of the season, playing into right. what's happening. But ho, ho, ho. Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah, no, the- I mean, uh, Stephen, Stephen uh, how are you going to advise him? Are you going to advise him that he actually does, for his own protection, need to hold on to his butt? <laughs> Maybe I'll just, I'll just drape a, a blanket over him so that his butt will be safe. Yeah, I mean, I'm just thinking about the fact that, you know, you've got uh, Jakar, who, you know, finally picks up on some breadcrumbs and starts following the trail to see, to, to try and find Garibaldi, gets captured, you know, gets taken to Centauri Prime, and Cartage is going to have a dandy old time torturing him, you know, and in the process, oh, let's take that eye out. And, you know, that feels like that's such a long suffering, you know, like many months of torture kind of thing. And yet, no, uh, we're going to be done and... Londo is going to try and kill Cartagia, but guess what? Veer gets to. Um, 
<laughs> I know that I could yeah. not stop thinking about that. Oh my God. That, that, that has got to be one of the more brilliantly played bits, I think, in the entire show to mm-hmm. not only have Veer be the one to kill him, but how it happens that, you know, Veer's not even trying to. He just like picks mm-hmm. up the weapon and Cartagia gets flung into him. Um, but all of these things, you know, Morden, Morden's head on a pike. If, you know, Stephen's going to have that lovely bit, uh, of Veer waving to the head in a few episodes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it just, you know, yeah, it, it is speeding along at a terrifying rate right now just to make room for picking back up with the fact that, hey, Earth is still under this despotic government and, and, and little tin dictator guy that's being influenced far too much by the Psychor, which we now know, at least in part, is working with the shadows. So... So, so there yeah. is a lot going on. <laughs> yeah, there, there's enough for a season here. It just, you know, it's I, I, I'm failing to find a metaphor. <laughs> so, yeah, I had this sort of list running around and we've already sort of touched on a couple of them. Uh, the events on Centauri Prime, the fact that, yes, uh, Londo and Veer do wind, succeed in manipulating Cartagia um, into going to the Narn homeworld and taking Jakar with them, and he's going to execute Jakar in front of the people, in front of the Narn people, and all of that. Except Londo and Jakar have a plan, and um, and that succeeds, uh, and Jakar reclaims his homeworld. You know, we we the year we reclaimed what was ours happens mm-hmm. fairly quickly. Um, but also something that jumped out at me um, was uh, the minister as as he's talking to Londo about uh, the fact that apparently Cartagia keeps the heads of his enemies somewhere. Towards the end of that scene, the minister starts like stroking his throat. And <laughs> of course, the first obvious thing is he doesn't want to be beheaded. But mm-hmm. that made me think of the fact he's going to get a keeper. Yep. And that's going to that be sitting too. on his shoulder the rest of his life. Yeah. Oh, I'm 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 so glad that uh Damien uh Damien mm-hmm. London is still with us and this sh- in this show and his character keeps coming back and um and he, he he's so delightful which makes the turn that he's going to take when he's under the Drox thumb is just that dark and he and he makes that shift from uh from 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 twittering um uh you know Twittering guy who just loves pastels <laughs> to to a thrall of the Drock and killing somebody and then uh, watching a Centauri Prime burns mm-hmm. and giggling and it's just you know it's a it's a surprisingly important character. It's a tragedy. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I liked also that the fact that. Um, JMS or the director or or both uh still let uh that character be you know be you get hints that he is smart i mean he he comes across as just this totally useless fly flittering about character and yet londo makes his you know sort of sly sarcastic crack to uh cartagia about you know you haven't changed since the last time i saw you um and 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 <laughs> And uh, and the minister rolls his eyes just a mm-hmm. bit. You know, it's like he he totally gets it. So I like that there's <laughs> a little bit of that going on. That and through the twittering, he is giving some solid advice, and he is catching the references. Yep. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, which reminds me, I also like in this episode, Londo is really sly directly to oh, Cartagia. Yeah. You know, you know the, the 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 shade is being thrown mightily, and in such a way that Cartagia can't help but notice. And that is, you know, the 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 emperor is already right, and Londo says that oh, yeah. is our tradition, yeah. and and. That's that's kind of a ballsy statement for him to make. Uh, I'm wondering if he is doing that to just because the the author of the episode thinks that it is funny for the for the character to say that, um, or if that is you know making Cartagia respect him as somebody who is his own man, mm-hmm. you know, who 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 is who is not a coward. Londo's going to have a few lines like that uh, for the remainder of Cartagia's reign. But then you've got, the, of course, the counterbalances, um, you know, when Londo, without thinking, moves to try and yank Cartagia from the window and immediately mm -hmm. his guards are on Londo. That's like a sharp reminder of, I'll tolerate certain things from you because I find it amusing. Mm -hmm. But, dude, there's a line. Yeah, don't cross it. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, um, so we've got Centauri Prime, um, we've got um, Ivanova saying that she thinks she knows what she can do next and who she can go to for help, and I, I'll be honest, I'm at the moment blanking on what that involves, if that's the Rangers that, that she pulls in on, and Marcus, I, I don't remember. Do you guys? You know, I'm blanking. I'm blanking a moment myself, but... I do seem to recall a line that uh, Sheridan ge- gives her when she returns, saying, saying whatever she was starting to pull together, he, he says she's on the mm-hmm. right track. But, of course, we've got to have our great man to uh, be the one to um, rally rally people around mm-hmm. the cause. And um, that y- y'all were talking pre-spoiler about how everybody was kind of ignoring Susan because she didn't have that same kind of kind of uh, charismatic mm-hmm. appeal uh, but we are now full on into the legend of John yeah. Sheridan uh, yeah. passage of this yeah. of this story uh, he is going to he is going to come back from the dead everybody's going to mm-hmm. go Whoa! And-, and everybody is going to follow him and to the show's credit because uh, this this bit really does wind up minimizing Delin and Ivanova and other leadership characters because it's the great man theory mm-hmm. of, uh, you know, mm-hmm. you're a nexus. Um, to the show's credit, uh, Garibaldi's psychor-nudged suspicions come from a real mm-hmm. place, you know. They think you're the second coming now. You know, uh, Sheridan, Sheridan has become a cult of personality figure and he gets he gets taken down and that's possibly actually in a twisted way mm-hmm. a good thing that garibaldi has done maybe for for character growth I'm, purposes I'm, 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 i mean yeah it's still the the bitterest betrayal um granted caused by by like you said by psychors messing with garibaldi and um and and turning him this paranoid and this um, turning him this paranoid, mm-hmm. but yeah, share it, for purposes of the story overall. Working, something had to happen to Sheridan like that. 
You know, it didn't necessarily have to be Garibaldi turning him over to Earth Force and going through torture and political manipulations before being rescued. But something like that had to happen or Sheridan's character would have fallen apart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the so the next few episodes, Sheridan will be on top of his game. Uh, he will end the Shadow War and he will become... He'll become this great general figure on his way to becoming president. But before he becomes president, he gets taken down uh, uh, some serious pegs. And then after he becomes president, for the whole of series five, season five, one of the things that I think you can hold against season five in terms of narrative cohesion Mm -hmm. and things like that is that uh, Sheridan screws up a lot of the time. He 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 is not an infallible leader. Uh, he in, in some in some cases just makes really bad decisions as president. This is the the story becomes about the forging of an actual political empire, and that is always messy and almost never impressive. And it's no longer a military uh, we campaign. We've it. seen that Sharon is a brilliant <laughs> yeah. military leader. So that's kind of subtle on JMS's part to show him making so many mistakes as a political leader, because it is not where his talents lie. He has to learn to become uh, a good, a great political force, which, you know, by the end of the show, we see, yes, he he pulled it off in the 20 years he has left, thanks to Lorian. Um, But, uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but in the in in the immediate in the next few episodes, I'll be interested to see how our control group uh, reacts to uh, the the legend that is the 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 rising legend that is John Sheridan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, given he is so cynical, Stephen is so cynical when it comes to pretty much every character. Like every new character, Stephen's just like, I don't trust him. I don't trust him. I don't trust him. Like, so that's what he was saying. And I was like, yeah, but you don't trust anybody. He's like, yeah, well, I didn't trust so and so. I can't remember exactly who he was talking about, but I didn't trust so and so. And they turned out to be bad. And I didn't trust so and so. And, and look what happened there. And I was like, yeah, but you didn't trust original Kosh. And original Kosh, you know, kind of sacrificed himself to help Sheridan. And, and Stephen's like, yeah, and look what we're left with now. It's <laughs> just like, oh, jeez. Yeah. I, I have to admit, this time around, I am kind of looking forward to them taking down mm-hmm. Nukash uh, to um, prevent uh, the Vorlons from finding out their plans. Yeah, I, and I like that it's kind of set up. You've got Lita making references to you're hiding something from me, something's different. Um, just, you know, sort of dropping you know little seeds again towards mm-hmm. um, towards what's going to happen. Yep. Yeah, I do suspect that when Sheridan comes back, Stephen's going to trust him less than he used to simply because that just seems to be the way he reacts to this show. So, but we'll see. Who knows? Yep. And, 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 and his favorite actor will be feeding him the lines that reinforce that because Garibaldi is going to be, Garibaldi is going to be even Mm -hmm. more suspicious. Yeah. Interesting. I think we've got a character arc for Stephen Chapansky. (laughs) We might. We just might. (laughs) Okay. Um, can we think of anything else that we want to touch on here before we get to future episodes? I can't think of anything else myself. Oh, uh, let's see. Yeah, um, 
Uh, I I did lampshade a little bit pre spoiler about the incongruity of uh, Jakar going off on a mm-hmm. Garibaldi quest, and of course we can now say that the entire reason for the Garibaldi quest is to get him captured by the Centauri and get him on Centauri Prime for a long yep. plot. So, uh, yeah, the, the, which will lead to a, a few uh, a few seems- delightful um, interactions uh, since uh, Jakar teams up with Marcus for some of this. Yes. Yeah, well, yeah, and that and that and that's great. Um uh for next episode, uh when um Jakar messes around with the uh, the fighting pike, pay attention to sound effects as that uh, as that goes on. Okay. I will say no more. <laughs> um but uh but yeah, the, the fact that he's going off and doing this is it it doesn't make logical sense to me for the character to go off and do this. It's, he's only doing this so JMS can have him get captured by the Centauri and um, put him into the proper plot. Okay. Harumph, I say. Harumph. Harumph. All right. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else I want to add, and I think we've touched on most of it. Uh, we have our our introduction of Lorian, uh, played by Wayne Alexander, under a bunch of makeup. Uh, and uh, it, it amused me as I was talking pre-spoiler um, that, you know, he's basically he's in a totally different character. But, hey, Sebastian's back to ask, who are you again? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Um, yeah, but yeah, I was looking on the lurkers guide. It's kind of interesting. Apparently, some initial speculation was that Lorien was a soul hunter because the sort of jewel or place in his forehead is similar in the makeup stylings. Mm. So I don't, I don't remember anything coming of that, or there in, being any hints that the soul hunters might have been descendants of of Lorien's uh, Lorien as the first one or the race that came after him. But um, it, it would have been an interesting you know, discussion to have as Lorian starts, you know, sort of pulling Sheridan apart to figure out what what makes him tick and whether he's going to land on the side of life or death. Okay. Well, uh, thank you, as always, for listening. And again, the next episode will be Whatever Happened to Mr. Garibaldi? Uh, at which point I'm trying to remember how quickly Garibaldi comes back if it, we, we see him trapped by the psychor i think next episode if i remember correctly yeah i honestly don't but remember at all <laughs> so. but he doesn't turn up for another episode after that i think mm-hmm. um but uh we will be continuing on through this very steep drop of um a denouement uh as we finish out one giant storyline in the several storylines that are in babylon 5 and then we get to go rescue earth and Woo. And start up a, you know, brand new interstellar alliance and and eventually, like, deal with telepaths and all that sort of thing. Eventually. So, yes, but plenty to look forward to. Um, so, as always, please visit us on our social media, uh, B5AudioGuide.com, our Twitter and Tumblr at B5 Audio Guide. And until next time, this is Shannon and Durham. Chip and Durham. And Erica and Edmonton. And you've been listening to the audio guide to Babylon 5. Babylon 5.